You are listening to The Andrew Miller Show. This episode was recorded when the show had a different name. Same show otherwise. Anyway, enjoy. You are listening to Actively Aware. I'm your host, Andrew. Today, we talk with Justin O'Hay. He is a candidate in the 2020 Democratic primary for Freeholder, Union County, New Jersey. Regardless of where you live or vote, Justin is very inspirational. It is totally worth it to just hear him out. He's the real deal. He's heavily involved, heavily passionate about all these causes and movements. He not only takes it to the streets, he takes it to the state house. This guy is no joke. You really got to hear him out. You will not regret it. If you live in Union County, New Jersey, he'll be on your ballot for the 2020 Democratic primary on July 7th, running for the office of Freeholder, Union County. So what is a Freeholder? Basically, it's what the rest of the country or normal places call a county commissioner. New Jersey is the only state whose county commissioners are called Freeholders, very outdated term, more ridiculous than the idea of still calling a school principal a headmaster. But New Jersey just never got around to updating the term, so they're still called freeholders. This term is like is older than the country. It goes way back to colonial times. Based on some of my research, I found a little piece in, in NJ Spotlight, is the source, from October 2015. It's all about the structure of New Jersey's government, all the different terms and a lot of history and such. But just one part about the term freeholder. In England, a freeholder was a person who owned land free of debts or legal claims. And in the colonies, only freeholders could hold office. In pre-revolutionary New Jersey, appointed or elected freeholders, along with justices of the peace, appointed tax collectors and oversaw county business including the killing of wolves, maintaining the poor, and building and repairing ponds and bridges. The duties sound similar to what you would expect from those holding that office nowadays. Though I don't know about the killing of wolves part. I haven't noticed the wolf problem in New Jersey lately. (laughs) Nowadays, the wildlife issue tends to be a deer and bears trying to repopulate this uh, highly densely populated state. Growing up here as a kid, we had to go to Pennsylvania to see deer or bear. And if you saw a bear or a buck out there, it, it was like spotting Bigfoot. Nowadays, forget about it. Rural areas in northern New Jersey, you have mama bears and their cubs swimming around in people's backyard pools. I mean, if you go to the YouTube, people have uh, posted those videos. I mean, pretty cute. And every so often, there's a bear hunt going on, and that becomes a hot topic in statewide politics. In deer, they're just bucks or does, doesn't matter. They're all over our highways, they're all over our parks. So times are, in that regard, a little different than 20, 30 years ago when I was growing up. But nonetheless, enough of my wild life rambling. The show must go on. So here we talk with Justin O'Hay.
So with us right now is Justin O'Hay. He's a candidate in the 2020 Democratic primary for Union County Freeholder, Union County, New Jersey. And Justin, you're running on the ticket that says not me, us. So what's mm -hmm. not me, us all about? So uh, really, it, it originated from Bernie Sanders' uh, presidential campaign. Um, initially, when we, when, we, when we came up with the idea to try and run an entire ticket of candidates uh, against, the, um, against the incumbents in Union County, uh, it started off uh, with a collaboration between two groups. So uh, I was approached by um, an individual who is one of the leaders from uh, the, the Union County uh, Progressive Democrats of New Jersey, um, part of the larger organization of you know, Progressive Democrats of America, PDA. Um, but I'm also part of the leadership structure for Our Revolution New Jersey, and Our Revolution mm -hmm. is another extension of Bernie Sanders' uh, 2016 campaign um, after uh, you know, the nomination went to Hillary Clinton. He'd come out with his book, and his book laid out a whole framework, a whole plan on how to um, begin to seize uh, some levers of power from the ground up, starting with county committee seats, which we've been working on for years. Um, but from county committee to you know county clerk to freeholders to sheriff to you know local candidates, uh, council people, mayors, and all the way up to you know Congress, Senate, you know presidency. So. We, so we teamed up um, and, you know, we decided that, you know, we can't just have this fragmented system where we've just got random people running in, in certain localities, certain counties. So we're like, you know, we really need to get serious with this. We need to hammer down on it and create whole slates of candidates. So that's, that's, that's where we're at now. No, that's good. And that's good news because that's the way to do it. You know, even if people think this whole presidential primary, you know, Biden, Bernie is a whole bust. All right, whatever. You know, it's, I mean, waiting once every four years for pres to vote for president or to care about it doesn't cut it. Because let's just say someone wanted Bernie and he did get the nomination. All right, you know what? Even if you won the popular vote, that doesn't guarantee anything in the general because of the electoral college. Whereas every other office, you know, as you know, for U.S. Senate, we have Larry Ham running against Cory Booker. Mm -hmm. He wins a nomination moves on to the general, he wins a general, he's your senator, that's simple. And it's that way on every other office. So that's why I'd say it's these elections at all the local level, state levels, are even more important because that's where it really counts. Absolutely, and, yeah, the yeah. power structure, the power structure, I mean, people think that, you know, big change comes from the top down and it doesn't. If, if people wanna find like large structural, fundamental kinds of change, you know, it's good to have leaders at the top that support it, clearly. Sure. Um, but, you know, it's usually kind of the groundswell and then people at the top sort of meeting us in the middle. And, you know, that's sort of what we've been trying to do. You know, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a slog, though. This is a tough time in politics. This is a tough time economically. This is a tough time to campaign. Uh, no doubt. We're in a just bizarre situation. It is. But at least with the primary being postponed, uh, the positive thing I saw with that is, hey, more time to campaign, more time to get the word out, out you know, which is another thing that motivated me to start this podcast. And yeah, from the bottom on up, you know, at every level, because you look at other examples, even all across the country, everywhere in the past decade or so, 
you know, I, I know a lot of people will look at the Tea Party and say, and you know, because one idiot had a sign that said, "Get your government hands off my Medicare." You know, people will laugh at that. And yeah, we all know that uh, that does not represent most Americans. But unlike most Americans, they got involved at every level in every election, every general election, every primary election, everything from school board all the way on up. Mm -hmm. And they've been running circles around everyone else since then. And that's going to continue if no one else gets involved at every level in every election. So that's why I think it's a huge breath of fresh air to see you running for county, county freeholder, to see others like you running for all these different offices at all these different levels. And yeah, just to see this whole movement, this whole ticket going on as well. well I sincerely appreciate that. Um, you know, it's interesting what happened with the whole Tea Party. Uh, you know, it seemed like in in some ways initially they they had some right ideas and some good ideas, and they had some people who like you know, um, Ron Paul had some good ideas about certain things. Sure. Uh, economically, I am nowhere remotely close to what they stand for, but socially, absolutely, um, I think that people should you know have their their social freedoms and be able to love whoever you want to love and to be able to live a life that, you know, you have some liberty and some freedom, but uh, it's, it's crazy what happened with them because then they just kind of split apart and became sort of like this radicalized, like a lot of them kind of transformed into some of the alt-right and, and just some really ugly factions now that are in the government that are oh yeah really just destroying the social, I mean, the social safety net's already pretty badly, it's virtually destroyed as it is but they have been in there really cutting it up and, you know, they're a major threat just like, you know, even uh, dare I even say the, the democratic establishment, they just, they're just slicker. Oh, wow. Yeah. But luckily, you know, we have, we have you involved. We have a lot of good people getting involved now. So that's, that's a good thing. That puts some light at the end of the tunnel. So as far as you being involved, uh, if you would uh, walk us through your background, your journey and what motivated you to run? Well, uh, you know, I'm born and raised in New Jersey, uh, 40 years old. Um, I work as a clinician, as a, well, I'm a licensed clinical social worker by profession. I work in mental health and addictions. Uh, I've done that for the past 20 some odd years. Uh, my father, though, was a, a healthcare administrator. He was a human resources director for local hospitals and uh, medical um, practices for almost 40 years. So I kind of grew up in a family that was pretty well centered in healthcare and, you know, just caring for people more or less. Uh, you know, I grew up a middle-class uh, existence. Um, you know, I was born in 1979, came up in the eighties thinking that, you know, America was the greatest, you know, Rambo, yep. GI Joe, WWF, <laughs> Same you know, here. USA, you know, all that stuff. Same here. Um, had no idea that we were being completely duped. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until I would say probably the, the late nineties um, into the two thousands that I really started to open my eyes, you know, in my early adulthood, late teens, uh, early twenties, you know, my family had been, fairly successful when I was young, um, but things came about uh, where, you know, the economy started to change. My father lost his job several times. Um, my sister got sick and it was, you know, uh, she had a disability. She had a, a seizure disorder that proved fatal. 
you know, so she was on disability. Um, I grew up in, you know, I grew up in a, a good family, but I had, I, I was exposed to a lot when I was young. A lot of people that had mental health issues, addictions. Um, I got a lot of doses of reality growing up that, you know, maybe a lot faster than some people would. So I always had this kind of, um, I don't know. I was kind of an adult pretty young in some ways. Maybe my behavior didn't always reflect that, but uh, <laughs> I saw things in a different way. Um, and, you know, I went to school. I got away. I got out of New Jersey. I was in Pennsylvania for four years while I was getting my undergraduate degree. I got it in psychology. You know, there's just a lot of life events and things that happened that kind of just rattled my cage and, and, and put me through a lot. Um, after I graduated, uh, my father uh, was looking to get out of this dead end job that he was in and we went to West Virginia. Mm. I was fresh out of school, only making 25 grand a year. I, you know, stupid me. I just bought a brand new car and I had a nice 300 or $400 car payment every month. So I totally screwed myself out of being able to live here locally. I mean, even at 25 grand back then, I still couldn't have paid rent. My friends were still in college, so I had to go. So we moved to, um, Logan County, West Virginia, right in the heart of coal country, um, wow. about an hour, about an hour southwest from Charleston, West Virginia. So about 40 minutes from the border of Eastern Kentucky and Tennessee. Uh, and I worked as an outpatient mental health therapist uh, with people who were, you know, the, the area is just, it's abject poverty. I don't know any other way to say it. There's ecological devastation from mountaintop removal projects and underground mining. Um, chemical companies and all types of things that just poison the air, poison the water. Um, there's no real jobs. You know, the coal industry, the fossil fuel industry down there is dying. Yeah. Or almost dead, I should say. And, you know, you've got generations and generations of abject poverty and pollution and just social decay. Um, and, you know, I was down there for two and a half years. So I went from, you know, Union County, New Jersey, metropolitan New York City area to Hatfield and McCoy territory oh yeah completely isolated amongst a, a a very I mean people down there I have to be honest are very great they're great people sure they, they work hard you know this or that but they've they've got generational trauma I, I don't know any mm. other way to say it and I was I saw a lot that was just a shocking experience that opened my eyes to class consciousness and realized oh, how badly like our government has just used people as pawns or used people as poster children to try and push through these social programs, made a bunch of empty promises and left people completely hanging. So I was there in the midst of like, well, I don't know if I want to say it was the total peak, but it was right near the peak of the opioid crisis, mm. just addiction, poverty, domestic violence, crime, it was real. So then wow. I came back, worked in the community in Elizabeth, down the port of Elizabeth as a Union County uh, youth case manager for several years uh, in, in, you know, the inner city neighborhoods uh, with underserved uh, families and at-risk at youth. Uh, moved on and worked with adults that had severe mental illness. Uh, went, went on and got my master's degree uh, in social work. And, uh, you know, at that time, so I, I got into graduate school and it was 2007 and the crash happened oh yeah and my parents lost 
a large, large chunk of their retirement. And my father had lost his job. I think it was for a third time. And they were already in just financial, like dire straits when it happened. Um, uh, that year, my sister died in her sleep from a fatal seizure. Um, and, you know, she was on SSI. Uh, she was disabled, but she was trying to get her life back on track. You know, all that stuff. She's going to college. She, she got her license, her driver's license and stuff. You know, she had a fatal seizure one night. And, you know, my parents were 10 hours away in West Virginia. I was living in Elizabeth in a little studio apartment. And uh, yeah. I, at the time, I was learning social uh, policy. Um, and, and social policy and I had to read the New York Times every single day and I had to write and I was studying wars and conflicts and trauma and, and all these different things and and that's when I started to kind of open my eyes to politics and and you know the Occupy movement was going on and you know I, I didn't really get involved because I didn't know 100% what it stood for I, I didn't have that much depth um, okay. But over a period of time, you know, after I got my master's and I've continued to work in mental health and addictions uh, in a in community mental health for Rutgers University, uh, Rutgers Health now, it's a giant public-private partnership between former UMDNJ, Rutgers University, and Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in St. Barnabas. So it's just this giant conglomerate, you know, it's, it's so it's a giant academic healthcare system that was just created to try and compete with um, with the likes of Johns Hopkins, uh, the Mayo Clinic, things like that. And, you know, I've seen exploitation of labor left and right. They treat mental health workers and a lot of healthcare workers, nurses even, like they're, like, like we're just robots. And, uh, you know, they just take advantage of everything they possibly can. And I got involved with the union uh, I started off as um, the chair for the Committee on Political Education for Healthcare Professionals and Allied Employees, Local 5094 at Rutgers there. Uh, was doing lobbying stuff, not, you know, not any full-time, you know, they'd have these yeah. political events. I would, you know, I'd, they would write out a small check. I'd go to these things and I'd have to actually talk to politicians and people who hold power. All right. Um, and... I had some eye-opening experiences, you know, Bernie came along. I, that's when my activism really started. Uh, but, you know, I have to say that much of this came through hardship. Much of this came through bearing witness to people suffering, to poverty, to addiction, death, suicide. Uh, and I just, the more I got into this, the more I saw the corruption, the more I saw the rot. I started studying, uh, you know, the free market and neoliberalism, um, Milton Friedman and, 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 you know, the shock doctrine and all these different things. And it really just, once you go in that rabbit hole, <laughs> there's oh, no yeah. coming at yeah, Especially and, when you see everything you've seen, you, you, you've seen it, you, you've seen the light, you've seen the truth. You, know, you can't yeah. just unsee it just because it's easier to turn your other cheek and say, no, I'll just believe what it's easier to believe. I'll just say, yeah, that person has a rough, must be their fault 100%. You know, it's easy for a lot of people to believe that, hence a lot of people do, but you, you, you've seen it all in depth, obviously. And, and yeah, and that's another good thing about you running. I mean, all the experience you have to bring to the table, your perspective and everything. And as you mentioned, you grew up in Union County and you've lived in Union County for quite a while again now. So you know Union County. 
So it's good sure. that you're running for Union County office. You know, the union, the union work that I've been doing, the labor work has actually become something that's really informed uh, what I'm doing on, on, on not just a local level, but on a state and county level. Uh, that's I would good. like the president of my local, it's 2,600 uh, 2,600 members from University Hospital, which is the premier trauma center here in nice. New Jersey. The, all three medical schools, Rutgers, University Behavioral Healthcare, um, and it's, we're just all over the place. And uh, that work has really gotten me into a position of, you know, I've gotten some power through this. Um, and it's not really what I'm in it for. I'm in it really for the influence and to really organize and to create um, a strong coalition and working with the coalition of unions. But really my main purpose for doing this is really to shine a light on corruption and to Great. start to root out and, and, and kind of surgically remove the corruption and rot from our local system. And really that's the, that's the way that we attain power. It's a bottom up thing. It is. I a hundred percent agree. And again, you know, having spent all this time in union County, but also all this time you spent outside union County and outside mm -hmm. of New Jersey, I mean, the story you told alone and everything speaks volumes. So as you know, that could broaden one's perspective of where they're from and where they live. And mm -hmm having more places to compare Union County to based on your personal experience. Uh, what are some things about Union County that a lot of people who've been here quite a while or who never really left may take for granted that you'd like to preserve and protect? And at the same time, is there anything, what realms can Union County do better? <laughs> so, that's a big question. There's a lot of things that Union County can do better. But, you know, listen, I wouldn't have, have been out of state and come back numerous times if there wasn't, if I didn't love this place, you know. It, it's exactly. kind of like this crazy love-hate thing with New Jersey. Um, oh, sure. You know, I love I love how, how the multicultural aspect of it. I mean, you'll find every single walk of life you can just about imagine. You know, we've got a wonderful variety of, of culture and arts. And, I mean, people talk a lot of junk about New Jersey, but it really is a beautiful state. You've got a little bit of almost everything. And, everything uh, but the desert. Exactly. So, you know, the things that I'd like to preserve. So I would say that several things. I mean, our infrastructure <laughs> needs a lot of work. Our roads have been terrible. Um, our rail system has been uh, kind of a national disgrace. I don't know how else to say. I know you take the train every day, man, and I know you feel the pain when I when I mention that. Oh yeah. Um, Some days public... I'm happy that we actually have it because most other places you go, it's either either drive everywhere or why even bother? I mean, exactly. here at least you have that option, especially going in and out of a crowded city like New York, where driving there would be insane. Like, why do you want to send traffic then pay a ton of money just to park? Exactly. I mean, so, you know, there's a big initiative statewide, um, but even locally here in Union County to try and get more funding and, you know, single seat rides to New York City in order to make it more efficient going back and forth uh, to invest in infrastructure. Because, I mean, that's one thing we've got all these highways, we've got all these roads, but they keep developing and there's not, we need to make our system a little bit better. That's definitely an area for improvement. I would also say that, you know, we have beautiful parks in this area we do. too, but really great park system. But we also have a lot of, um, how do I say this? A lot of polluting kinds of um, activities that we do. 
um, using different kinds of fertilizers and this or that that, that create runoff and cause algae blooms. Um, cutting, we've been cutting trees down like mad um, because we've privatized so much of our infrastructure. You know, they have these contracts and they go around cutting down big shade trees all over the place. I think that, you know, our parks definitely need to be preserved. We can probably beautify them and have a green park, uh, greens, a green park initiative. Um, what else? Let's see. So I would also say that one thing that really needs to be preserved, and I would go further to say revitalized, is our public health and public mental health infrastructure. Um, you know, New Jersey is a state where corporations run, you know, they reign strong and uh, there's a lot of money here. There's a lot of old money. There's a lot of new money. But taxes are extremely high. They are. Um, we don't know where our money goes half the time. Um, you know, so much of New Jersey taxpayer money goes to the red states and southern states uh, because they've, you know, slashed all their programs that we wind up, they siphon it out of us. But we have a county hospital here. It used to be called Runnels, um, but now it's called Cornerstone. Oh, okay. They've had their mental health, uh, well, they've had their public funding cut massively over the last decade. I'm talking tens of millions of dollars to a point where they've shrunk down staffing levels there where there's been brutal assaults, um, just horrible, just the worst kind of situation you could imagine. It's not only just a mental health hospital, but it's also a, a, a short-term care facility and a, um, uh, I don't know why I can't think of it, I've had such a busy day. There's, it's also a, a, a home for the elderly. And we've seen what's been happening across the country and you know, New Jersey and New York have really provided to be the textbook kind of example of this is what happens when you neglect vulnerable people. Mm. You keep low staffing levels. People get sick like dogs. They're catching COVID. They're di they're dying. Um, you know, we've neglected certain infrastructure that, that that has to do with caring for the vulnerable. That I think has really been totally horrific. And we really do need to get those public funding back into those places, and to start protecting our vulnerable. Um, I would, let's see, um, the housing situation here, um, mm. there's a huge variety of housing here, but, uh, you know, I'm not the only one who's noticed that, uh, you know, rent has gone sky high, you know, ever since we had the subprime mortgage, uh, crash ever since the bubble burst, excuse me. Um, we've seen house housing values just going wild. Oh yeah. Um, Homes are wildly overpriced. They're really not worth what you pay for them. Uh, you know, there's a lot of young people who can't afford to, to, to get a mortgage because they're strapped with student loan debt. Um, and, you know, we've got landlords who just keep increasing the, the rent on everybody. They're developing, you know, all along the Raritan Valley line here, our, our, our rail system. They're putting up all these, you know, hundreds, I, I would even say thousands of units of luxury apartments and different things. Yeah. Um, but there's this situation, and, and, and I'm trying to think of how to explain this. There was a ruling made in the courts called the, the Mount Laurel decision. Right. And uh, it, it's created a situation that on its face looks really great. It's all, you know, on its face, it's, it's, it says that they need to build low income and mo moderate income housing all over the state. And that developers can use this Mount Laurel decision to uh, leverage municipalities in order to put these things up. And that sounds all well and good. I am 1000% for affordable housing. 
Oh, yeah. Right? But only about 10% of the housing that they're putting up is actually low to moderate income. Yeah, and the rest of it is like, who could have? Yeah, and a lot of it takes a while to fill up because of that, because at that point, people could just buy their own house. Absolutely. I mean, so what we've seen, you know, from, at least from my perspective, is that since 2007, since the crash happened, you know, you've had this flight out of New York City. Um, New York City has become a playground for the mega rich. Most people can't afford to live there unless they, you know, rent out a closet with six other people. And Oh, yeah. And, and mice and, and everything and rats. Yeah, there's been this urban flight of people coming over here. First, it was Jersey City and Hoboken and just the property values and rents have just went out of control. Now, the issue with development is I'm, I'm totally for apartments and housing, but it's not affordable. And this, these Mount Laurel things, they're, they're not making enough of it affordable. And the problem is, is that there's these sweetheart deals between, between the counties and between municipalities where they give 10, 20, 25 year tax abatements Ooh. 400, 500, 800 unit apartment complexes that only have 10% affordable housing and no money's going back into the community. Wow. Right? So people are getting filthy rich. They're driving up rent costs and these people are, are they're not having to pay taxes. So they're getting filthy rich off of this thing. They're clogging up our streets and we're not able to collect the tax money in order to be able to kind of expand or improve our infrastructure to actually deal with these numbers coming in. Um, so uh, we're kind of creating sort of a mess and you know, it's no secret, New Jersey's overdeveloped, but they're really making it get out of control. Yeah, it's a good thing you brought all that up and, and having brought that up, I take it, you know, that's something you're gonna fight against mm -hmm. when you when you get in there so that's good because yeah i was gonna say i mean i'm glad you brought up the high property taxes and the cost of living here because knock on any door in union county doesn't matter if they have a trump sign or a bernie sign or a biden sign on their front lawn if you ask some county level what's your biggest concern or among your biggest concerns it's going to be you know the rent is too high or the property taxes are too high mm -hmm. and yeah you know, when it comes to improving things, infrastructure, there's all, oh, how are you going to pay for it? Taxes are high enough as it is. But then you shed light on this, like what the real problem is and everything that's relating to development and the tax abatements and such, and only a really small percentage is affordable. And then that sheds a whole new light on all of this. There's a lot more where that came from, by the way. So yeah. Just, just to help you understand. So Union County, has about on average a $500 million a year budget. Okay. Yeah. So being that it's a half a billion dollar budget every single year. Now we have these, these situations, right? So we've had, we've gotten rid of things like public works or public road crews. Um, so much of our highway construction, so much of these different things actually get contracted out to private contractors. And if you study it and you look, a mile of roadway in New Jersey costs like, I don't even know, it's a, it's a stupid number, like 50 times or 30 times how much it costs in another state. And the reason why is that we have these county freeholders and these different people that make these sweetheart deals. Oh, wow. I know a guy who's got a contracting company. Let's get the bid to him. They're not doing competitive or open contracts when it comes to these big infrastructure projects 
And there's a lot of self-dealing going on and there's a lot of um, corruption that's inside this system. Um, they, they, they keep their meetings, um, I don't wanna say under lock and key, but they're hard to access. The budget is way overly complicated. There's ways that we, you know, we, so it's not just myself, it's myself, it's, it's Isa Heath, who's also running for freeholder. And there's also my other uh, partner, Hector Manessas Jr., who's also running for uh, freeholder on the slate. And, you know, all three of us have different kinds of things that we want to focus on. Isa, a lot of her stuff has to do with housing and, and services in order to keep people securely housed. Um, we both share a big interest when it comes to social services. This COVID-19 epidemic is hammering the middle class and working class here and, and the poor in New Jersey. And there's a large focus to really look at social programs and things to be able to help keep people fed, to keep the lights on, um, to, to ensure that we're able to not just um, help people up, but to be able to actually help people out of the circumstances that they're in. Um, Hector, uh, a big area for him, he's, he's kind of an economic guy, but he's also very, very focused on infrastructure, uh, maybe even creating a light rail system that runs across the county. There's nice. old, there's old, you know, the old uh, freight tracks that, that run between Roselle and Roselle Park, and they run all the way yes. to the park. Um, the idea for that was to actually repurpose it, because right now it's just an alley with animals and God knows what garbage and to actually clear that out and then either create a light rail system that goes back and forth to take some of the burden off of the Raritan Valley line um, or to create a, an electric bus system that mm. goes back and forth, maybe even with bike paths, whatever it happens to be, to create more public meeting spaces. Um, and honestly, I mean, I think that fairer, more transparent contracts uh, really creating a system where there's a lot more public good and public work being done and not handing everything out to private contractors. But I would say that the biggest, most fundamental piece of what we really wanna do is to get rid of what they call the county line system. Uh, the, the, so in New Jersey, we have this freak kind of, uh, freak system for our elections where our, you know, we don't bracket our candidates on a ballot. We have what they call a county line. So generally they'll have either column A or column B. And uh, they'll have the incumbent, you know, if it's a presidential candidate, the Senate candidate, this or that, and all the incumbents all in one straight row. Now, if you're challenging an incumbent and you're a progressive or you're, I don't know, a libertarian or whatever it happens to be, they won't give you a line. So you can't just vote one straight line down for all the Democrats, for all the Republicans. If yeah. you're something that's an outlier, they could put you in column H uh, for your Senate guy, put you in column G for this or that, and literally scatter you all over the Oh ballot. yeah, and so with no one in between either. Like yep. there'll be someone on column A, column B, column C, then the other columns are blank, and then someone's on column H. <laughs> So, so and that's the thing. And it, it's, it's, I, I, I hate to make it sound like, you know, people go for the easiest, the path of least resistance. And if I can just vote that straight line down and that's, oh, I did my job as a voter, you know, bing, bang, boom, I'm done. Unless you really study who's on the ballot and know what they're all about, most people don't. Exactly. You know, Which is another voters, reason I started yeah. this podcast because I 
see that, hey, you know, there's a huge void that has to be filled here as far as spreading awareness and just allowing people the opportunity to know what their real options are. Absolutely. You know, this is the thing. So county to county, every county has a different bylaws, a different constitution, and a different way that you have to go about in order to abolish the line. We also have the, the, the you know, the semi-closed uh, primary, which I know that you were going to talk about. No, um, I, I went over that real quick as a reminder yeah. to everyone listening. That's uh, But uh, every county, you ha it's like a different game of chess. And, mm. you know, you need to get people on the ground level and you need to start to build a majority. And if we can, if we're, we've created a coalition across the state, this county line thing has been a, 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 a wart on the face of our electoral politics. But it has also kept the machine in power with almost total impunity. Uh, the chances of somebody winning against an incumbent, I think it's like one in a thousand, if I'm not mistaken, here in the state of New wow. Jersey. Um, you know, there's people who kept their office for 30, 40 years, you know, people who start and retire in office. And it's just, it's not okay. And we want to oh. put an end to that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because that's one of the things a lot of people complain about is, uh, we just need term limits all around and this, that, and the other. And it's like, okay, but the voters could do that by just not reelecting the same people they keep complaining about. Well, the <laughs> problem is, is that they weed everybody out by exactly. using that county line structure, by keeping that st uh, statistical advantage and keeping everybody else in no man's land. Because you know what, they don't expect everybody to do the work to figure out, well, who are all these people running locally or in my county? Um, it's like you go in, you pull the lever and you're gone. Um, and part of, part of what we're doing also, part of what Our Revolution New Jersey or part, part of what Our Revolution Union County and, and the progressive Demo Democrats are doing is that we're also doing educational kinds of events for people to mm -hmm. learn the importance of really knowing who and what you're voting for what kinds of policies are actually important to you, how to really engage in civics. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's been slow progress, but we've really been starting to cross-pollinate quite a bit. And nice. I, you know, it's, it's exciting what's been happening. That's good. Well, Justin, you really made the case there. I mean, you really shed light on a lot of things that a lot of people don't, you know, really know about or think about. And it makes sense out of everything. And when you talk about improving the infrastructure, even social services, after everything that you shed light on, it's no matter, not no longer a matter of, well, you know, we can't afford to do that. When, well, look what we could seem to afford to do otherwise, as you mentioned with, you know, the corruption, you know, all these different contracts and such. And, and like, wow, it's sheds light on it all. Taxpayer money goes to disappear. <laughs> exactly. So here it's instead of here, you know, electing people like you, let's try to make it not disappear and make it benefit everybody. That way people actually get what they pay for for once. Exactly. I mean, if you're not investing in infrastructure or programs that people can actually benefit from, what what is the point? Who what are we paying? Yeah. Why are we paying? Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and I wanted to actually make make this one point. Okay. That people are under the assumption that you have to own a home in order to be some big taxpayer. That is false on its face. That is patently false because every single person who pays rent in this state, the taxes are put right into your rent. 
Exactly. So however many people are renting out a property, you are paying the taxes for that property, not the landlord. So people need to get that idea out of their head that, oh, if you're not a homeowner, you, you don't really count. People are paying rent in this state that is as high as most people's mortgages. Oh, definitely. And, you know, we need to create a situation that can alleviate some of the, just the burdens on people. I, I feel horrible for people, you know, the tail end of Gen X that, that I'm a part of and the millennials and everybody under us because trying to stay afloat and trying to get ahead or, or, or to just start a life is, it's a brutal situation in, in this state and really in this country. So we hope that we can make things a little bit easier. Wow. Well, Justin, you made a very compelling case here. And as I mentioned, shed a lot of new light on so much for, you know, a lot of people listening. And, you know, if anyone wants to help out or wants to learn more about whether it's our revolution or not me, not us or the other candidates, is there anywhere you could uh, direct them? Absolutely. So um, you can actually, you can volunteer with, with the, the two groups that we previously mentioned. So there's uh, the, the, the union County Progressive Democrats of New Jersey. It's it's www.union. I think it's Progressive Democrats uh, of New Jersey, or there's um, www.ourrevolution. It's uh, yeah, ourrevolutionnewjersey.org. Um, so there's there's several people. If you're on social media um, here in Union County, there's a whole bunch of people who work along with uh, with with Progressive Democrats. Um, I just want to run through the names on our slate. So there's myself, who's running for freeholder. There's Isa Heath, who's from Elizabeth, who's running for freeholder. There's Hector Manessas, who's from Linden, New Jersey, uh, who's running for freeholder. There's Sean Smith, my, my close friend and, and brother in activism, who's running for county clerk. There's Jack Molinar, um, who's from Fanwood, New Jersey, who's running for county sheriff. Um, let's see, who else do we have? We've got Lawrence Hamm, who's running for Senate, he's a lifelong uh, people's champion, activist, scholar, public intellectual, um, anti-police brutality, and you know, uh, anti-race, uh, anti-racial um, activist. I mean, the guy is just—he's—he's a—I don't even know—he's like a, a tsunami of a man who's running for Senate. Oh, right definitely. Now. Um, We've right now we've got slates that are running not just in, in Union County. We have people who are running in Middlesex County. We've got local candidates. We've got David Rutherford who's running in Plainfield. Um, just take a look at it. I mean, you can go on the Union County Progressive Democrats of New Jersey. Take a look at it. We have our whole list of candidates. You can volunteer on those sites as well. Um, listen, the more the merrier. Uh, you're going to notice that we're all people that keep our feet on the ground. We're regular everyday people that are pretty hardcore activists in some instances. We've got a lot of brains and, um, you know, we're here to stake our claim and we're not going away. So even if we don't make it this time, we're going to keep coming back at them that you can guarantee that. Oh yeah, definitely. And yeah, I know a while ago I, I did watch a YouTube clip of Larry Lawrence Ham speaking is, I think it's either Piscataway Persephone. The, the, the church? Yes. Oh, that that was moving. I mean, anyone who listens to that and is not somewhat touched or moved by that needs to get their pulse checked. I'm telling Absolutely. you. Absolutely. The yeah. man's a genius. I, I, I don't care. Yes. I mean, he, 
not only he's a genius, but he is so compelling and he has a way, like I've never heard a public speaker from New Jersey like him ever. Yeah. You know, and luckily he, had- uh, he is getting some ground because I, I know closer to where I live, I live like, you know, where Harrison, Newark, that area and mm-hmm. where the 280, the turnpike and all that. And he's got, there's billboards going on with him. So Absolutely. that's well, Let's be real. That's listen, good. You've got Cory Booker, right? Yeah. And listen, Cory's not the worst guy. I'm not the biggest fan, but oh, whatever, you know. Larry Ham was born and raised in Newark, New Jersey. He didn't come from Harrington Park. He didn't come with the silver spoon in his mouth. His parents no. worked for IBM, right? He started off as 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 a of a working class slash poor kid from from 12th uh, 12th Street in Newark through the riots and that whole situation. He was a teenage activist. They took over a whole floor of of I don't know if it was the Robert Street Hotel, but one of the major hotels in town. Um, because that there was this whole you know crooked uh, situation going on within the Newark, Newark schools, mm. and uh, you know he he wound up becoming the youngest school board city school board member in the whole country. He was 17, sitting on the the Newark um, city school board. He went to Princeton uh, on scholarship. Um, he studied with you know Cornell West and some of these other people. I mean, he is a powerhouse of an individual. I cannot convey enough how amazing he actually is. And this is, a, to me, this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. It is. If you want to see change happen, you need to vote for Larry Ham. You can look up his campaign. There's hashtag go ham 2020. It's H A M M. So hashtag go H A M M 2020. He's absolutely amazing. And, you know, Honestly, give us a, give us a try, guys, because you know we're not in there for power. We're in there to really expose yeah. the corruption and start just rooting it out and creating a government that actually serves the people, not serves themselves. And the, exactly, and the sector, you know. And depending on what a congressional district uh, one is in, there's a few congressional districts, mm-hmm. uh, house seats that have. Oh, that's right. So, people on this ticket running, including where I live. You. Thank you for the reminder. So, okay, so we've got Hector Asagera. So we live in a, so District 7, CD7 is really strange. Um, this is a super gerrymandered state. Anybody who follows politics knows that. Mm. Um, yeah. So Hector is actually, he represents, I, I believe, the 8th district. Um, he'd be running, he's running against um, Albio Series, who, uh, it's this strange carved up district that runs from Elizabeth up through, I believe, part of Newark into um, Jersey City, up into Union City. And I, I don't know where it exactly ends, but it's like the sliver that runs along the seaboard, uh, you know, over near New York City. Um, it's a heavily, um, mostly immigrants uh, in a lot of those communities, but very heavily Hispanic. Um, Albio Series is a absentee congressman is the best way i can explain he doesn't wow. live, he doesn't live in the state it's not like oh Ooh. he just lives in dc he does not live in new jersey what he beyond that i mean he might have an address but he doesn't physically live here okay Ooh. he is he he has not seen a war that he doesn't love and that he doesn't love to support he's got pictures of himself posing like a fanboy with um 
Elliot Abrams, the, the, the architect of the genocide in Central America from the 1980s. Yeah. He, was put in, he was put in federal prison. And to my understanding, he wasn't going to see the light of day. And it was Bush, I don't know if it was Bush Sr. that actually got him out. Uh, what, what do they call that? Um, at the end of their presidential term. Uh, well, the, he pardoned him, that's it. Oh, okay, he, he yeah. gave him a pardon and got him out of prison. And a couple of years down the line, you got Albio posing with him. You know, he, he's a conservative. I, I don't know how else to explain it. You know, the people use all these different terms, corporate Democrat, uh, you know, uh, Republican light centrist yeah. Republican yeah. yeah he is literally that I mean wow he he shows up for photo ops this or that but really he relies on the machine you know they, they use a lot of dirty tactics in this state and you know there's there's a lot of things that we're doing that they would never even think of it was and not for anything it was the Union County Progressive Democrats of New Jersey that got Governor Murphy over a period of time to finally sign on to a vote by mail system across the state to try and prevent further uh, spread of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and nice. that was no little feat, okay? No. So we've got all the right ideas and we've, we, you know, we've got a vision and I don't see any vision in the establishment here. There isn't, they just no, there isn't. exactly the way it is. Yeah, just a stupid lesser evil game and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but here's a chance for people to take a step back and think, all right, you know, why am I voting against this one other party? Why, and, you know, without mentioning whoever it is you're voting against, how about answering why you're voting for who you're voting for? And when, and then that in itself could, like, if you draw a blank on that, then it's like, you got to find someone else to vote for. And luckily, you know, we have you, we have all these other candidates on this ticket, on this movement who are offering the opportunity for this to really let people vote for something for once and really root out all this corruption and all this nonsense. And we don't just talk. We don't talk the talk. We walk the walk. You know, people want to talk what people want to, you know, think about, Oh, is he really mean what he's saying about social services? Is he really mean, you know, sticking up for the poor or for the working class? I got arrested with the poor people's campaign outside of the state house annex uh, a couple of years ago. That's right. Martin Luther King's old poor people's campaign revitalized itself. And uh, I got, I jumped right in. Um, I'm just as much an activist and a labor leader or a social worker as anything. And I'm not in there to make friends. We're not really there to make friends, to, to make friendships of convenience, to self-deal. Honestly, that is the stuff that makes our stomachs turn. And, you know, hopefully when we, hopefully if we get in there, heads are going to roll. They're, they're not pleased with us. Um, and I have to say, I absolutely relish that oh, definitely. <laughs> it excites me definitely so wow this was a this is great you know seeing you know options for once and mm -hmm. uh, i just want more people to be aware of that and know that mm -hmm. and so when they see their ballots in the mail they know who to look for they see you on there and they know ah, all right there we go that's the ticket right there that's the candidate right there and instead of just saying oh, well column a whatever uh, lesser evil and then wonder why later no forget that you know that, that this is overdue if anything so well, it's yeah. you know it's, i'm a love me or hate me guy and right. i tell people judge me by my enemies because generally the people who don't like me are the people who most people cannot stand exactly and 
that says a lot. So that's good. So Justin, I want to thank you for Absolutely. coming on the program here and getting your My voice pleasure. out there to everybody. Thank you, brother. Appreciate yeah, definitely. And best of luck. Seriously. Thank you, man. We're going to fight it out. We'll see what happens. It's good to talk to you again. Definitely. Same here. Take care. All right. Peace out.